I knew I'd been fighting all my life against uh, the powers that be, and 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 I always, I always seemed to come out on the losing end. So here was a here was a document that was talking about this was not only a, a necessary struggle historically, but it was a struggle that we we could win that we were historically destined to win. Welcome to Fight Back Radio, production of FightBackNews.org, taking you to the heart of the people's struggle. I'm your host, Richard Berg, and today's uh, show is um, by popular demand. Uh, we had uh, uh, Frank Chapman on our show, and uh, he was talking about his book, uh, The Damn Don't Cry, and uh, it was a lot of his life story. People even that have known him or worked with him uh, uh, commented on it, and there was many things in there that they didn't even know. Um, and he's had a, a rich and full life. And almost immediately, we started getting uh, uh, calls, emails, uh, texts that said, uh, more Frank Chapman. And um, so uh, we've decided to comply with that. This is not like a part one, part two. This is uh, just more Frank Chapman. So uh, um, I encourage people to get the book because there's many things that, in the damn don't cry that uh, you would like to know. Um, also his first book, or I should take it back, his second book, uh, Marxist-Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and Socialism, which is uh, more of a theoretical book, but uh, quite good. It's an analysis of uh, the Black Liberation Movement and the left over time. So uh, I encourage both of those, and we'll put them in, in the show notes. And uh, so uh, here is uh, Frank Chapman. So we're here with uh, Frank Chapman uh, again. Uh, you're back by uh, popular demand, Frank. Uh, people wanted to, to hear hear more uh, from uh, what your book, uh, The Damn Don't Cry. So uh, um, this episode is not, I should tell our listeners, is not going to be like a part one, part two. You can listen to this separate or that one separate, but I, I encourage you to, sure. to listen to both of them. But uh, welcome to Fight Back Radio, Frank. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So I, I want to start out here with, um, um, you know, you were a teenager when you entered the Missouri Penitentiary. And uh, in your book, you talk about uh, there's a saying above the the, the prison walls uh, as you as you enter uh, uh, from Dante's Inferno. It says, uh, those who enter here leave all hope behind. Um, and uh, in your case, you know, uh, I mean, I, I suppose you know it's a you know it's 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 quite a thing to enter a prison, but you uh, you know actually uh, you know your, your time in prison uh, you seemed you found some hope uh, in in the people's movements. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, actually, I I, I went to the prison filled with hope because uh, I met Father Clark while I was in the jail. I told you about that earlier, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he was truly a remarkable human being. Uh, I met him because he was opposed to the death penalty. He, he had a he had a he had a nickname, the Hootlum Priest. They called him, <laughs> and, and and they even made a movie about him called the Hootlum Priest. So if you want to watch that movie, the movie starred in Don Murray, the Hootlum Priest. He he was Irish, and uh, his uh, his 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 parents and whatnot were coal were coal miners, and uh, and come out of the Molly Maguire's tradition. Okay. So he, he had kind of a radical upbringing, and uh, and he hung out he hung out with the uh, 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 with with poor people and and, and so called criminals that that was uh, that was what he did. He founded the first uh, 
uh, halfway house in the United States called Dismas House, uh, named after the, one of the thieves on, on the uh, on the cross with Jesus. Uh, and uh, he uh, he had a big impact on me because I, I never met anybody like him before, you know. And and, and his, his 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 passion and his dedication uh, in terms of saving the lives of people like myself really really impressed me. So when I so when I went to prison, I, I had gotten by the fact that he had stopped me from getting death penalty. That in and of itself gave me hope that uh, I could get out of there one day, you know, uh, because I knew the system had unjustly uh, convicted me and sent me to prison. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so, well, so while, while you were in prison, though, you had okay. So you and we talked a little bit about this. You you read. Uh, ferociously and uh, you continued that's that's probably that's something that was with you your whole life um but some you know some pretty deep things and uh including uh, uh philosophy and uh, uh politics etc and uh you know during your time in prison uh, you became a communist um could you talk about uh how that happened or how you how that how you came to become a communist yeah well i, I like you say, i i was I, I did a lot of reading uh, and uh, I, I also associated and talked to other prisoners who are also uh, great readers. You know, there's there, there, there's a there's, there's there's sort of an intellectual community in 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 the, in the prisons, not just in the one I was in, but in prisons all across the country. And and because there are there are there are prisoners that do a lot of reading, and so we we tend to get together and talk about what we've read. And, and, and and exchange books and that sort of thing, and so in the process of doing all that, I met a communist uh, with, 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 with an interesting name, Ulysses Grant Thompson, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> named after and, the former president and uh, Union yeah, General yeah. in the army. <laughs> right, right. And he he gave me this uh, this interesting book by uh, I think it was Emil Burns, the handbook on Marxism. And uh, and he challenged me when he gave it to me. You know, he said it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't cost me a dime to read to read to read it and uh, and, and 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 find out the truth. You know, and so uh, you know, I said, what's this guy talking about? So I started reading, and and it pulled me into it right away because one of the one of the first uh, readings in there is the Communist Manifesto, and. Uh, uh, the opening lines of the manifesto, I will never forget as long as I live. The history of all hitherto existing societies is the history of class struggle. And they talked about the fight between the oppressor and the oppressed. Well, that was me. We talked about me. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's the first time I read a book by uh, a so-called philosopher or great social critic, banker, that, 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 that really quite openly and blatantly uh, talked about oppression. And talked about uh, uh, how the struggle against oppression was a historically necessitated struggle, you know. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grasp what all that meant at the time, but I knew it was right. I, I, I knew I'd been fighting all my life against uh, the powers that be, and 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 I, was, I always seemed to come out on the losing end. So here was a here was a document that was talking about this was not only a, a necessary struggle historically. But it was a struggle that we we could win, that we were historically destined to win. So that really got my attention. That really got my attention, and uh, and I, I went from there 
I, I, after that, I wanted to read. I wanted to read Marx, all Marx's books. I, I wanted to read them, and of course, there wasn't a lot of them in the prison at the time. Uh, very few. So yeah, I, no, I, the, the prison libraries uh, in, in those days, especially. There were a few prisons that had that had some, you know, and, and there were prisons that had some some strange books like uh, uh, the Theory of Capitalist Development uh, by Paul M. Paul M. Swayze, uh, and uh, which talks about capital, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, you know, we we scrunched the editors around of Monthly got, Review. Uh, so yes, I said the editor of Monthly Review. I yeah, well, I, I, didn't, a, I didn't know anything about him at that time, but I read I read that book and it gave me a, it gave me a, a, a jump start on reading Capital. You know, yeah. And yep. then they brought the great books of the Western world in there and put them in, in our library. Uh, and and the guy that was responsible for uh, for bringing the great books in was interestingly enough. A guy that used to work for the CIA, and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he brought those books in to, uh, you know, uh, uh, start a book study, a, 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 a book study group among the prisoners, mostly white prisoners, but but a couple of black prisoners got involved in it, and it was mainly about, I think the last volume was on Karl Marx. It was mainly about Aristotle, Plato. I think it started off with Plato. And, okay, and, uh, and all of the uh, all of the great philosophers of the Western world, and so most of it was uh, was, was reactionary, and 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 and, and there, there were a few really good good volumes in there, like uh, that, that that had to do with uh, uh, the modern world and, and, and revolutionary developments. Like there was a piece in there by Spinoza uh, that was complicated as hell to read, but, but very interesting, <laughs> and. Uh, there was there was a book in there on chemistry by Lavoisier, and 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 there was a book in there with Sigmund Freud, and then at the very end, volume number fifty four, was Capital by Karl Marx, and and so I uh, I read that religiously. I got to tell you the truth. The first time I read, it, I didn't know a damn thing about what it was talking about. You know, mm-hmm. I understood the, the prefaces. Uh, uh, but it wasn't like it wasn't like the Communist Manifesto. It was a different kind, of, a different kind of read, you know. It was a, 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 it was it was really a, it was really a, 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 a very rigorous scientific analysis of capitalism. So you had to uh, you had to get your dictionary together and, and, your, and your notebook and, and really di- and really dive in to, to, to kind of get an understanding of what Marx was talking about. Um, so it's it's and, an investment, but uh, but it's worth yeah. it. I think you could say. Yeah, uh, and 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 it's not a, as difficult to read as people make out. You know, it's 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 just it just takes a while for you kind of catch on to it. You know. Yeah. But it, it it starts off, you know, with a very very simple very simple but complicated analysis of of a commodity. You know, what is a what is a commodity, and uh, and 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 when you read the prefaces. He's explaining what his method is, you know. So, so you have to just really follow it, you know. And it's it's a, it's a great teaching book, you know. Uh, I learned a great deal by reading that book. Uh, and when you get to the the juicy parts, like the primitive accumulation of capital and that sort of thing, then 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 it really comes out, you know, because that book is full of examples of uh, how capitalism eventually uh, took over the earth, you know, con- conquered the world. And uh, there's a, there's a, there's a section in there where he says capital comes to comes into the world 
dripping from every pore with blood and dirt. Uh, and after you've read that chapter on primitive accumulation, you can see exactly what he's talking about because they talk about the African slave trade. They talk about the, uh, uh, you know, taking the uh, taking the new world, the con conquest of the new world, how they enslaved the indigenous people and tombed them in mines and stuff. You know, it, it shows that capitalism was quite ruthless in exploiting yep. uh, uh, indigenous people and the people of the world in order to accumulate the wealth that they accumulated. So let me circle back then. So uh, um, you, uh, um, I mean, these these are uh, you know these readings and this study is is important, um, but uh, uh, but you know to to be a communist is isn't to be uh, um, simply a student. It's to be a student as well as to put it into practice to be an activist. And uh, you were here. You were in the you know Missouri penitentiary. You know, stuck in in a situation that was difficult. Um, you know, did how, how did you uh, as you know once you started to realize that how did you you know as a communist how did you uh, how did you become an activist inside the prison? Well, I, I did both kind of at the same time. Uh, I didn't become a communist and then became and then become an activist. I became an activist and became a communist. You know, because mm -hmm. I, I I I was actively engaged even before I even before I read the manifesto. I was actively engaged in fighting the racism in the prison system. You know, we lived under horrible conditions there. I, I talked about this when we talked before. You know, they had they had black inmates, uh, prisoners, living uh, uh, four and six men to a cell. These cells were only designed and big enough to hold uh, about two people, but they put bunk bunk beds in them. You know, three bunks on one side and three bunks on the other side where they could get six people in. And uh, two bunks on one side and two bunks on the other side where they could get four people in. The white prisoners did not live like that. They had two so, men cells and one man cells. We had four to a cell and six to a cell. Oh, that's that's that's, that's, that's obviously a, a great inequity, you know. Yep. And 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 and, and so mo a lot of violence and whatnot was going on in the, in the black cell blocks. It was not going on in the white cell block because we were living on top of each other, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it was seven hundred of us in that one cell block. Uh, the white prisons were divided up where, at most, there would be like a hundred and 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 ninety prisoners in the cell block, you know. But we had seven hundred in one cell block, you know, and so it was uh, it, it, it it was terrible, and the working conditions, uh, the same thing, they were discriminatory. We had the dirtiest, filthiest jobs in the prison. Uh, we had the most dangerous jobs in the prison, you know. They had a what they call an embossing. There was a license plate pressure. In other words, you stuck a you stuck a piece of metal under there, and and, and the embosser came down and stamped the metal with a license plate number. You were literally chained to that machine. That you had some 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 some, some gloves on, and, and and some chains on the gloves. And so when the embosser came down, the, the chains were supposed to snatch your hand off under off under the machine, so the embosser wouldn't hit your hands. A lot of guys got their fingers cut off. Some lost an entire hand because that 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 machine did not work perfectly, you know. And sometimes it it, it broke down and and was discoordinated. Most of the prisoners that lost their hands, lost their fingers and stuff on the machines were black prisoners. So wow. I just use this as one of the most gross examples. <laughs> uh, so we were fighting against that type of stuff, uh, those type of conditions. 
and 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 and, and me reading Marxism and whatnot just let me know that uh, there was a purpose and a reason why we were carrying on these struggles, and and I began to see that we were part of the working class. Yep. Yeah. So, so you you organized also like uh, reading groups or a unit of Marxists, uh, uh, whatever you would. I don't know what you called it to be honest with you, but uh, but something like in in the prison. You talk about that in the book as well as that you had a, you know the the communists were a force, uh, um, you know that were you know active as a group, you know, so it wasn't just you alone being active in reading, but working collectively with others as well. Well, we started teaching other prisoners about about Marxism. That's how it started. It started as a as a study group, and then we realized, well, you know, we got to we got we got to fight these conditions in here, you know. So uh, we don't just need a study group. We also need a group that's that, that to organize protests and rebellion against against these conditions in here, and and and, and so we started calling our group. A Marxist collective, you know, and then as we develop in our ide- in, in our ideology and begin to learn more and more about Marxism Leninism, we changed it to Marxist Leninist collective. But that was just it was it was it was secret. It was sort of underground. That was just among ourselves, and 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 and, and, and no more than five people at, at a time were allowed to meet in this in this collective because you know the the, the prison system watches the prisoners, you know. And, right. and, and and so we didn't want to draw too much attention to ourselves, although we had we had drawn some attention to ourselves because we had these large study groups on the yard, which consisted of a lot of black prisoners. And at that time, black prisoners were waking up to black history and whatnot. And uh, 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 you know, we were we were uh, there was sort of a consciousness movement going on in there. So uh, our, our Marxist Leninist Collective kind of just fitted right in with that, and we had these. Uh, we we eventually recruited you know, maybe uh, three dozen people to to, wow. to to our group, but we but we but we broke it up into groups of five and six. We never would meet over six people at a time, you know. So it'd be repression then. Yes, of course. Um, we still got repressed, even though we we we, we broke it down. Because uh, some prisoners told on us, and, and 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 you know, the warden was asking for what are those guys over there doing. And some some prisoners told me well, them guys over there preaching revolution and stuff, you know, uh, and, and and so eventually they, they they started trying to crack down on us, but you know we kept on doing what we were doing, you know, and 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 we fought for our right to read whatever literature that we wanted to read because all we were doing was reading. You mentioned you had a, you had a fight to uh, uh, to end the censorship of uh, you know literature or, or books that could come in there. Um, as well as you know, you, uh, also I think there was a, a battle to uh, around uh, you know uh, censorship of your mail. I mean, you talk about in the book uh, that you know the way you connected with the Communist Party on the outside was uh, you you had one of uh, somebody who was being released talk to Herschel Walker, uh, um, and, you know, and different things that you had to you know, work around, and, and you you had a, yeah, a would, battle. They would, they would let us read. Uh, Marxist literature, if if they could help it. So when you try to order something in, like the only magazine that we could get in that, that had the Marxist orientation was uh, was Monthly Review. We 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 couldn't get in Political Affairs, which was put out by the Communist Party. Anything that had communists on it, they 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 wasn't going to let us read unless it was written by Jagger Hoover, you know, like mm-hmm. Masters of Deceit. 
but uh so 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 there was censorship you know uh and you could only get a book directly from the publishing house nobody could send you a book you know and so we uh we filed a civil a civil rights suit in the court saying that we had a first amendment right to read you know to read what we want what we wanted to read you know the that, that, that the prison system had no right to to censor our to censor us intellectually that this is you know, this was this was a violation of our of our rights, and and you know this was during the sixties. So during the sixties, a lot of things were happening. Uh, there was there was a, 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 a the status quo was being challenged all over the place, and so we got a favorable decision out of the federal courts. Uh, the first person to get a favorable decision on this time was not the people in our prison. It was in a New York prison, uh, Martin Suster, and 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 the judge who gave that decision was a. Uh, uh, Constance B. Motley, and, and 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 she had been involved in the civil rights movement. She had been one of the people that went down south uh, organizing for the right of black people to vote. And and she became, a, later on, she became a federal judge. And so she gave a favorable decision on that. And we were able to use that decision in Missouri, because, you know, federal applies to the whole entire United States. And we were able to use that decision to get Marcus Liturgy in. So when we so when we broke open that door, we get Marcus Ledger in. Uh, places like international publishers, they created a uh, a prisoners fund uh, among their readers, so that they could uh, they could donate books to the prisons. And so uh, and all and all and all all of their damaged books that that that, that they couldn't sell, they would send them in, into the prison to us. So so once once we open up that uh, open up that door. Then, then radical literature just poured in. You know, we were getting uh, 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 the Black Panther Party newspapers. You know, we always need to get the Mohammed Speaks, but the, the Black Panther Party newspapers, we was getting in, uh, 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 you know, the Worker, the Communist newspaper. We got the Challenge in, uh, which was the Progressive Labor Party newspaper. Uh, and we got all kinds of Marxist did so it was for for a reader like you that was a field day all of a sudden. Oh, we had fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord, um, I want to pivot a little bit because uh, um, to uh, um, you know I know we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the founding of the National Alliance uh, Against Racist and Political Repression, which you're the executive director of, and um, the founding of this. Uh, 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 founding convention happened in 1973 in Chicago, and um, uh, you were in prison at that time. But could you talk a little bit about the the founding convention of the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, and um, you know what you know how you were relating to it back then, and how you viewed it? Yeah, well, the founding convention was a response to a challenge that was given us by Angela Davis, one of the most massive. Uh, defense movements ever existed in the United States was the national campaign to free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. And that campaign uh, grew out of the arrest of Angela Davis when, when overnight after her arrest, uh, she, uh, uh, she had over 200 committees to spring up all across the country. And so Charlene Mitchell, who was a member of the Central Committee of the Communist Party and a great leader, she uh she was given the assignment by the party to organize uh, these committees into one committee, and so Angela Davis suggested that 
it'd be organized into not Free Angela Davis, not committed, to, not national committee to Free Angela Davis, but united committees, the Free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. And that's what it became. And uh, so it started out as a spontaneous development and ended up being organized by the Communist Party. And it had over 200 chapters in the United States. It had chapters in over 67 countries of the world. Uh, and it had a tremendous outpouring of support, not only in the socialist block of countries in Europe, it had a tremendous outpouring almost everywhere in the world, in China, in Vietnam, in South Africa, in Chile. Uh, like I said, 67 different countries all over the world. Angela so, Davis, and so when Angela got freed as a result of this truly massive national and international campaign, she challenged us. She said, I'm free. Now that I'm free, what about the rest of the political prisoners that are still in there? She's talking about people like me, Frank Chapman. No. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about Angela Davis. So there's a, you know, she's going to be speaking uh, uh, in addressing the 50th anniversary uh, convention in Chicago. Um, uh, but uh, you know, she was, you know, she, you know, her her repression was the, the the thing that kicked it all off, as you just mentioned. And um, in your book, The Damn Don't Cry, uh, you know, she's she's the blurb at the beginning, uh, you know, uh, talking about you and, and uh, giving the book a plug. Um, could you talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, Angela Davis and how you met her and what your relationship with her has been over the years? Her, her, her campaign. I met her through her campaign. Uh, I, I had a defense committee in St. Louis. Uh, once the Angela Davis defense committee got off the ground, my committee merged with hers. And so uh, I, I knew about her case. Uh, eventually, she learned about my case. And, and when I got out of prison in 1976, we physically met in St. Louis, Missouri, at a uh, national board meeting of the Alliance. The, the National Alliance had been you know, founded three years earlier. But at that, at that founding convention, they took up my case as a national priority and made me a member of that organization. So when I came home and attended uh, uh, my first board meeting in that organization, I met Angela Davis, and man, that was quite an occasion, you know, uh, to meet this great heroic woman who uh, who I'd read so much about, who I admired so much, you know, and uh, so that's how we met, and and and. Uh, uh, I have an eternal gratitude to her and, and, and all of the people in the Alliance that worked to get me out because I wouldn't have came home in 76 without them. Yeah. So let's, 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 let's talk a little bit more about, cause the Alliance has this, just this grand history of, uh, uh, helping, uh, uh, political prisoners and people that have been, uh, repressed and, and, uh, you know, you know, including yourself and Angela Davis. And so, I mean, you were involved in this both while you were in jail and even after you got out of jail and you started working as a member and then later as a staff person for the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. But I, I just want to ask you about a, a couple of uh, different cases here. Um, could you talk a little bit uh, for our Fight Back viewer listeners that don't know, uh, who are the uh, Wilmington 10 and uh, 
what role, uh, how did the Alliance work to try to uh, bring justice to, to, to those people? Well, the Women Contend was, was nine black, black men, young black men, and one, one, one white woman who was an anti-poverty worker that were framed up in North Carolina because they led a, a, a protest movement down there, which, which, which erupted in what they call a riot. But it was really it was a protest movement against uh, uh, against the Ku Klux Klan and and, and the other things that were, that were that were going wrong in Wilmington at that time, and it was being led by a, a minister named Reverend Ben Chavis, who came out of the civil rights movement, who, who was a very militant preacher, and uh, they were literally framed up, they uh, you know and. And and they got they got a total of two hundred some odd years in, in in prison combined. They got you know they got different sentences, but it all it all amounted to that, that kind of time. And so uh, the alliance was building up an international, a national, an international campaign around their case when I was coming home. Uh, and uh, it was very they they were they were doing it very similar to the way they did the Angela Davis case. They had uh, people throughout the world involved in it. And whatnot, so it so it also became a very massive case, you know. Uh, there was uh, someone that I know who recently visited Russia uh, about two or three years ago, and and after all those years had gone by, the, the they told me that the people in Russia still remember the Wilmington Ten, you know, when when President Carter went to talk to uh, Brezhnev about peace, and and raised and raised the case of Solzhenitsyn. Uh, Brezhnev asked him about, well, what about the Wilmington 10? You know, mm-hmm. he asking me about one one political prisoner. i like to ask you about 10, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so it, this became a very powerful ca- case uh, internationally and, 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 and politically. And there were a lot of people that were very doubtful as to whether or not we would win this case because at that time, North Carolina was pretty much dominated by the Ku Klux Klan. They had a sign as you came into North Carolina with the Klan on the sign, a big welcome to North Carolina sign with a, with, a, with an actual face of the Ku Klux Klan on that sign, you know. Oh my God. That's that's oh that's how God. messed up it was, you know. Uh the Klan was very strong in North Carolina in the seventies and going into the eighties, you know. And 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 so people thought that, well, how you gonna win? This case in the Klan state. Well, we did it with a mass movement. It's not just like we did with Angela Davis' case, and like we did with my case. It was done with a ma- with a mass movement, and this was a mass movement, not only uh, nationally but internationally. You know, we had a whole lot of people coming out in that case. The United Church of Christ worked with us very closely uh, uh, around that case. Even Amnesty International. Uh, which was very picky about who they chose for a political person. Even even they uh even they got involved in that case, you know. Yeah. So uh, so it was uh it was uh it was it was it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a very important case, and eventually we won it. And forty seven years later, uh, all all of the women's team got parked by the state of North Carolina. That happened in this in this century. Yeah. You know? No, that's a it's a big victory. Uh, it's uh, I mean it doesn't. Uh, take away the harm that the state did against those people, but it's a great victory for for us. It shows, um, what, it shows what the power of the movement is. That's, that's right. What, that's, that's exactly the, that's right. What the movement can do. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I want to ask you about another one, uh, uh, Mayor Eddie James Cartha. Uh, could you tell uh, our Fight Back Radio listeners who that is and what the story is there? Mayor Eddie James Cartha was the first black mayor of Chu. I think uh, he got elected around uh, it was in the seventies. I, I want to say seventy-one, but I think that's too early. But it was in it was in the seventies. And I, I became familiar with the case in 1979, 1980. And 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 and, and what happened in that in, in that in that particular case, Chula, Mississippi is 95% black. And he was the first black mayor. And Chula, Mississippi has, has existed for over hundred years, you know, going all the way back to slavery. Uh and uh, the biggest landowner, plantation owner. In 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 Chula, Mississippi, was a guy named B.J. Taylor. You know, he had a big plantation down there in Holmes County, Mississippi. And when Eddie James Carthen won, he was a, a, opposed to uh, there being a black mayor. He had been opposed all all the time, and so uh, he had the sheriff and and other people in that town to board up City Hall to keep Mary D. Carthen out of City Hall. So Mary DeCarthan, being elected the mayor, he deputized six black men to uh, to join with him to go down and take City Hall back, and which they did. They armed themselves and they went down there and they took back City Hall, you know, and and that's how the story of the Chula Seven began, you know. After that, they were called the Chula Seven, and. The powers that be in Mississippi was 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 dedicated to making sure that he did not uh, maintain that office. So they framed him up on a murder charge. That's that's a complicated story, uh, but they framed him up on a murder charge, and he was actually facing the death penalty when we took his case, and uh, we fought that case going into the eighties, going into the early eighties, and early early 80s and mid-80s. And uh, we finally had a jury trial in in Lexington, uh, which is in Holmes County, uh, Mississippi. And the thing about it, the Voting Rights Act was that now black people could, could get on the, on the juries because they had, to, they had to pull the juries from a pool of, of registered voters. So the population in Mississippi was in Holmes County was so overwhelmingly black, and so they couldn't avoid getting black people on the jury. And so we ended up with a jury that was uh, a jury pool that was overwhelmingly black, and the, and the one person that could have possibly got on that on that jury, one white person that could have possibly got on that jury, he uh, he refused to get on. He, he he didn't want to get on because he said he had to go, go home and attend his hogs. And, and 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 so he got into an argument with the judge, and the judge finally gave in to him and let him let him go on home. And we ended up with an all black jury. That all black jury would not convict the mayor of murder. He he was uh he was he was he was acquitted. And so wow. we won the, we won we won the murder case. But then the federal government stepped in and convicted him on some old phony bull crap food stamps charge, food stamp fraud. And he ended up getting two years from the feds, which he had to do in in, in Maxwell, Alabama, 
Fort Maxwell, Alabama, in, in a federal prison. Wow. But we won, but we won the case. We won, we won the uh, the most significant part of the case, and that was the part where he faced the death penalty. Yeah, no, it's a uh... interesting case. Uh, I had an article to come out in Freedom Ways magazine about this case. You might be able to look it up online called uh, The Ordeal of Eddie James Carthay. And then I did another piece called Mississippi in the Mainstream. Well, so um, I want to I want to move forward a little bit. But there's, I mean, we, we could do many, many episodes just on all the the work and all the cases that and, and these are just two examples of that the, the the national alliance has done to fight for uh um you know the the freedom of uh you know political prisoners and uh you know as asada shakur and uh, uh geronimo pratt and joanne little and you know, whatever I, i'm starting to give a list and, and i shouldn't do that because uh i'm gonna leave some important. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know you could um but i i wanna um I want to ask you about a case. Uh, you're you're on the central committee of the Freedom Road uh, Socialist Organization, and um, I wanted to, you know, I I know that you know you had some back and forth. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, your time with the Communist Party, but eventually you left them. Um, and if you you can talk about that, however you want. But I, I wanted to talk ask you also about uh, you came in contact with the Freedom Road Socialist Organization over a question of repression, where the the FBI raided the homes of, uh, um, you know, several people in uh, Minnesota, Chicago here, and uh, Michigan, other places, and uh, subpoenaed people. And there was a, a, a repression against anti-war activists and people that were involved in protesting the Republican Party, but uh, especially the, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. Um, could you talk about, about that a little bit, how you came in contact with them? Well, uh, like so many people, I heard about the FBI raids and, and our organization, the Chicago Alliance Against Race and Political Repression, took a stand against those raids. Uh, we, we, uh, we defended the rights of, of the frizzled people, uh, to, you know, to be a movement, uh, because basically they were being, they were being repressed because they were a movement in solidarity with, uh, with people fighting for their national liberation. Uh, and uh, uh, we uh, we we knew that was wrong, and 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 so we 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 joined in the uh, mass defense movement uh, to uh, stop the uh, railroading uh, uh, of the uh, 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 members of Freedom Road, and also uh, 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 a Palestinian sister named uh, Rasmia O'Day, who they were trying to also railroad. Not just deport, but send the send, send but send her to federal prison, you know, uh, and, and so we got we got involved in that. So that's how I became familiar with, with, with Freedom Road, and 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 I saw that I saw that they were communists, and that they were taking up the struggle in in in, in a way that I totally agreed with, you know, that they uh, they saw the necessity of uniting. Uh, the struggle for national liberation, with the struggle for socialism, and that, and and uh, and, and, and 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 I, I agree with that. And they recognize that the Black Liberation Movement is 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 central to not only the, the struggle for socialism, but also the struggle for democracy in this country. And so, uh, and so that's 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 exactly the kind of uh, 
organization I was looking for to make my political home. And that's and that's what I decided to do. Okay. Um, so I, I want to also I'm I'm trying to you know bring a little bit more uh, current uh, here because uh, when I start talking to you, if I do it chronologically, we don't we don't get to the present day very quick because you've had <laughs> such a rich life. <laughs> um, but um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the um, you know here in Chicago. We talked about a little bit in the last episode about the uh, about community control of the police. And so it's, uh, the Chicago Alliance has been, and, and National Alliance for that matter, but I think Chicago has been in the forefront of this, um, uh, in fighting, uh, for community control of the police through first, uh, this, uh, CPAC, which is a civilian police accountability council. And, um, and you talked a little bit about that, but eventually here's what I wanted to ask you about, uh, um, there, there was two groups and they, and they, they, they merged. Uh, one was called GAPA. Uh, and I forgot what that stands for, but, uh, Grassroots they merged. Alliance. What's it? Grassroots, what? Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability. There you go. Thank you. And, uh, they merged and, and, and supported a bill called, uh, Empowering Communities for Public Safety, ECPS. And, um, could you talk a little bit about, uh, about that story, about how that happened? And, um, uh, you know, why, you know, the, the, the alliance, your side that was supporting CPAC, um, decided to do that. And, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of factors, uh, come into, you know, as a, as an experienced organizer, if you could talk about that decision and how it played out. And, and eventually it was a huge victory. This is, uh, ECPS is, uh, um, has passed its law here in Chicago, you know, that we've elected a mayor who's going to, looks like he's going to respect it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Well, let me just put it in historical perspective. Uh, the Alliance as a, as a national organization against racism and political repression took up the struggle for community control of the police in 1973. And we, we, uh, we, we were directly connected. With the uh, with, with that movement as a result of the Black Panther Party initiating that struggle in 1969, uh, in 1973 when we uh, when we formed formed the alliance in Chicago, there was a there was a movement for uh, community control of the uh, of the police going on here that had been initiated by Fred Hampton, and we uh, uh, reunited with that movement. Uh, we're not gonna give. A, we're not gonna give a history of the of the entire movement because it had ups and downs, and, you know, turns, twists and tosses. But um, uh, that's what C, that's what CPAC had its, its historical origin. Now CPAC, Civilian Police Accountability Council, that campaign came out of the murder of a 21 year old black woman by the name of Rakia Boyd in 2012. And uh, she was murdered by a cop called Dante Servin. And this is basically a drive-by shooting. They said that the uh, she was with a, a, a group of young black people. They were in the park. It was late at night. And he claimed that they woke him up making noise. And so he drove by and shot into the crowd. The, the bullet hit uh, the kill board in the head and killed her. And uh, uh, so... That happened in uh, March of, uh, of, of of 2012, and in April of 2012, we kicked off a campaign uh, 
a campaign for a civilian, a civilian police accountability council, CPAC. And, and we had our first meeting that year in July of that year uh, in Inglewood, where about 150 people came out. And then we had a, 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 another meeting in 2013 where over, over 250 came out. And we also had a demonstration in 2013 uh, where uh, over 500 people came down to City Hall and demanded that uh, that we have CPAC. So CPAC became a piece of legislation in 2016 when Carlos Rosa introduced it into the city council. And shortly after and that- Alderman from Chicago, uh, Carlos Rosa. That's why he was able to introduce it into city council because he was an alderman, and he and he was a freshly elected alderman. He was a freshman, and he was a, he was also a, a openly declared socialist, you know. So now he introduced it, and shortly after that, the grassroots alliance. I, I'm not going to get into their history. Uh, they they uh, they they introduced a another ordinance, you know. Uh, we call them GAPA, grassroots lines of police accountability. Their audience was their, their audience that they introduced, a proposed ordinance, was weaker than ours. But it, it but 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 it took a lot of elements out of out of our audience, you know. They uh, uh, uh I ain't gonna say they stole from us, but they did they did take a lot of uh, 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 cues from us, you know. So uh for a while you know, we were kind of contentious. And and our position was the position of the Chicago Alliance against racial repression was they're not our fight. You know, our, our fight is not against Gappa. You know, uh, our fight is against the powers that be. And so we weren't going to be disfocused by somebody that came up with another idea and also put that out there. You know, although it was competitive, uh, we we refused to engage in the competition in that manner. Because uh, uh, you know that's not who we were. Uh, that, they weren't our problem. Our problem was the powers that be uh, needed to take this up. Our problem was the city council and the mayor. You know, and so uh, at yeah. that time it was Lori Lightfoot was the mayor of Chicago, correct? Well, at that time it was Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel before and, Lori. And, okay, and, and, and then and then came Lori Lightfoot, and so uh, Lori Lightfoot she made a, a, a deal with the with the Gappa people. Because she was really afraid of CPAC. She didn't want that to happen. So she made a deal with the Gappa people that if 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 if, if they rolled with her, then in the first hundred days of her administration, she would get Gappa passed into law. And so they they they, they entered into that agreement, you know. Uh and it wasn't cast in stone or anything. It was just, you know, just 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 an agreement. And you know, the first 90 days, the first 100 days of her administration, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And and, 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 and Gappa kept pressing her for something to happen because she had made this promise. And so, pretty, you know, after almost a year, it became pretty clear to them that that this was not going to happen, that uh, Mayor Lightfoot had just been stalling them and carrying them along, you know, with playing the carrot and the stick game. And, and and it wasn't going to happen, and so they came to us. I'm leaving a lot out, of course. This is an abbreviated story, 
they, sure. they, they came they came to us and said, uh, how about us joining together in the United Front against Lightfoot to get something passed? And we said, well, if we can negotiate what that something is going to look like, okay, we'll consider it. So we sat down and negotiated with them for months. And we came up with a, uh, a, a, a another piece of legislation called Empowering Communities of Public Safety. And we united around that. And we got uh, 36 older people to unite with us and vote for it. And it became the law in July of uh, 2021. That was uh, just a little over a year after the George Floyd Rebellion. And we don't believe that that would have happened had it not been for the George Floyd Rebellion. The George Floyd Rebellion created a wave of protests in this city that, that opened up the gate uh, in terms of us getting this legislation passed. And so now it's the law. Now uh, 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 Empowering Communities of Public Safety is the law. And we just had an election uh, in February of this year where 66 people were elected in 22 police districts, three people per district, to uh, implement this law. They were elected, and 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 and, and their election uh, 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 was successful. Uh, the FOP ran some candidates, but we That's defeated the fraternal order of police, though. Yeah, fraternal order of police. So we we got well, we got most of the seats. You know, we got most of the seats, and uh, uh, we had we had forty five people to get elected, and and uh, we we uh, we have the majority of the police districts uh, working with us, and 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 this is a great historic accomplishment. Nowhere else in the United States have we made this kind of a game for the first time in in in, in U.S. history, probably the first time since Black Reconstruction. We have a situation where we have a law that is that allows us to suffer power where we can hold the police accountable for what they do and don't do in our communities, in the police districts, you know. And 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 then we can initiate policy in terms of uh, how we want our how we want our communities police. We don't want we don't want racial profiling. We don't want the police uh 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 you know kicking in doors, you, you know, we don't want the police brutalizing people. We don't want the police torturing people and sending them to jail for something they didn't do. And so these are all policies that we're not in a position to implement. We're not in a position to put into motion. And that has never happened before. First time it happened. It's a great victory. It's a great yeah. victory. Um, I mean, you talked about, uh, you know the the people's movements and and you know there's 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 a long road. I mean, you started with uh, the Black Panther Party in '69 and the Alliance, but um, I want to go back to the this uh, merger of the GAPA and the CPAC uh, resolutions, and you referred to it um, as a united front. Um, could you talk a little bit about uh, um, you know what a, what a united front is and how how that can be a a weapon in, in the hands of the movement if, if, if used properly. And, um, you know, just that, that concept of a united front for our fight back radio listeners who maybe have never heard that before. Well, a, a united front is, 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 is based on the concept of unity of action, not unity of ideas. So united, a united front consists of people of many different ideas, but, a, but, a, but, but, 
but are, but are ready to unite and fight together as a solid front against uh, police tyranny, against injustices that are being perpetrated against our communities by the police, you know, against police torturing people, against racial profiling, against murder, you know, uh, these sorts of things. And so in this united front, we have trade union organizations like Chicago Teachers Union, Service Employees International Union, ASHME, you know, we have uh, we have over 100 different churches through the United Church of Christ, uh, Community Renewal Society is an ecumenical movement that consists of uh, hundreds of uh, United Church of Christ churches and probably, and probably other churches. I think they also include some uh, some Jewish temples and and and, and whatnot. We have uh, 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 some Islamic organization, Islamic Council. We have we have uh, we have we have their participation. We have uh, 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 vote, vote, voting, voting groups, voting block groups in the black community, and 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 also on the north side, we have uh, uh, we have Push, uh, the Rainbow Push, uh, an, an, an old civil rights movement here. We have uh, 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 the Nation of Islam has worked with us on on this. So so it's a, it's, it's 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 a broad front a broad united front of various organizations, community-based organizations, uh, faith-based organizations, and labor unions. We actually have that. And, 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 and going into the winning of this uh, 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 ECPS ordinance, we had over 150 of these different groups with us, you know, and they're still with us, you know. And, and as a result of us getting the ordinance actually on the books, and, and now that we're working with it, every, uh, every area of Chicago, north side, south side, west side, the three main areas of the city, we have uh, 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 community organizations and groups involved in this coalition. So this is one of the broadest, uh, uh, biggest coalitions that we've had in this city in a long time. During the uh, during the elections, just just some district councils. During the elections, we 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 garnered over two hundred thousand voters. Wow! So that's wow. That's, nothing, that's nothing to sneeze at. You know? No, no, that's absolutely nothing to sneeze at. Um, unfortunately, uh, our our time is starting to run out. I want to encourage uh, our our fight back radio listeners to. Uh, to, to buy the second edition of your book, uh, The Damn Don't Cry, uh, which is uh, published by international publishers. Um, and you can uh, reach that at www.intpubnyc.com. We'll put that in the show notes for folks so you can you can find it there. Um, but uh, before we before we end the show, I, I want to give you a chance, Frank, if there's anything uh you want to add or anything we didn't talk about that you want to raise here or anything you want to say uh, to our fight back radio listeners i want to i want to talk about the uh i want to talk about our national our 50th anniversary national conference but before i do that i'm wondering if you could take out if, if you could take out a, a, a minute i think you go i think you go do this in a minute or maybe even a half minute to read the blurb for angela davis in the book 
You want to read it, or do you want me to? I want you to read it. Okay, I can do that. It's on, it's on, it's on the back. It's on the, it's on oh, it's on the back as well. Okay, I got it. Okay. Um, so this is, uh, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, I'll hold it up first. Uh, this is on the, the back uh, cover of the of uh, Frank's book, uh, The Damn Don't Cry. This is from Angela Davis, quote, uh, This extraordinary memoir from a seasoned communist organizer is also the riveting account of a prisoner's unrelenting journey toward freedom, combining a close analysis of movement building from battles against police violence and political repression to successful election campaigns. With a personal story of the effects of mass incarceration, Frank Chapman reveals what it means to generate optimism where all hope would seem to be obliterated. Frank is cautious about presenting his account, including his struggle with personal demons, as as, as an individual triumph. Instead, he, sh- he shows us the potential of a political engagement so profound that it has the power to save many lives, including his own. So yeah, that's that's, that's sweet. That's wonderful, and it's. Uh, uh, I've read the yeah. book, but if I didn't, that would make me want to read it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's nice. Well, the other the other thing that you asked is about what what are we doing now with this conference, and this is our 50th anniversary conference. And 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 over the course of this interview, you've heard about some of the things that we've done in the last 50 years. Uh, there there could be a whole month of interviews. Uh, covering in detail those 50 years. Uh, but you've heard what we've done. And so we're celebrating all the victories that we've ever had and all of the victories that we that, that, we, that we now have and that we're going to have in the future. Uh, and Angela Davis will address the, uh, 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 the conference. Also, uh, Stacey Davis Gates, president of the Chicago Teachers Union will make opening remarks addressing the conference and welcoming uh, all of you who come to our conference from across the country to the great city of Chicago. And and you'll get a welcome to the Chicago Teachers Union Union Hall because that's where we're going to have the conference. And uh, also we're uh, uh, we, we're going to have other, uh, other distinguished guests and speakers there to uh, address us. Some either the mayor or somebody from his office is going to also be there. So we uh, we want you to join us in this historic conference uh, for this celebration, but also an important milestone in building for our movement, building for the future of our movement. So we want you to go online at nwrpr.org uh, and register. You know, register to come to this conference because it's going to be a great historic event and we want you to be a part of it. You should be a part of it. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Frank. Uh, and you know, to our listeners, the, the damn don't cry. Make sure you, you purchase that and, and read it. It's a good read. Um, but then come to the conference. It's, uh, it's at my union hall. So, uh, um, I'm proud of that. And, uh, um, I hope, uh, I hope to see you all there. Um, but register. Um, so that the, they know that you're coming and and uh, and such. So yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a don't miss, I think. And uh, uh, the same with the book. So thank you so much, Frank. We appreciate thank you, you. Uh, being generous with your time. Thank you. Thank you. 
So, uh, Frank Chapman, uh, I guess we can never get enough of Frank Chapman. Uh, he's been one of our most popular guests and, uh, um, you know, whatever these, uh, if you haven't heard the previous episodes with Frank, uh, there's uh, two of them. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. One uh, is just our previous episode, and the other one is uh, um, was quite a bit earlier. It was one of our first episodes. There's no video for it, so sorry, uh, YouTube followers. But uh, um, but it uh, talks about his uh, second book, Marxist-Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and Socialism, and gives more of a, a little more of a theoretical point of view than the personal uh, perspective he just gave. Um, but I also want to thank people just before we sign off. We've gotten a lot of, uh, uh, you know, emails and texts and, uh, you know, tweets and all these things lately. Uh, um, some in response to, to Frank wanting more, but, uh, uh, others, uh, uh, I appreciate the, the kind words that so many of you have sent to me. Um, and also I appreciate the criticisms. So uh, I've gotten a number of those too, of ways that people think, uh, the show can be improved. Uh, if you want to reach me, uh, or if you want to reach our show, you can at uh, richard.fightbackradio at gmail.com. And I'd encourage you to, to, to do that. Uh, any uh, thoughts you have uh, are always appreciated. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, uh, you're our uh, advertising agency. Uh, so the word gets out by you telling people or retweeting something that we did or um, sending something off. So please do that. Tell others about uh, Fight Back Radio if you want to. Find it. You can go to www.fightbackradio.show, and there's a link tree there. So whatever you use, Spotify, Apple, whatever it is, they're all there. Um, and so we encourage people, however you you want to find us, uh, to do that and uh, and and get in contact with us. As I said, so we appreciate that. Um, also, I want to finally uh, uh, thank our crack production team: uh, Natalie Pranis, uh, Dodd McColgan, uh, Vince Olson, and Shane Tremley. So uh, for our entire Fight Back Radio team, I'm Richard Berg saying until next time, all power to the people. Okay, so we're we're out. Uh, I think that went okay. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's a part two. We'll give it. We'll hit, we'll hit people twice, but. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's. I, I was thinking of different people to have on to plug the the thing again, but I think you, I think you're the one. <laughs> you know, I think you did a yeah, good but, job. You know, we hit we hit a lot of we hit a lot of different points, and uh, I had a little bit more energy this time than I had last time. <laughs> well, I didn't make you come all the way to Uptown, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs>